0: like tartar sauce. Anybody know what tartar sauce is? How many eat fish? You like that white stuff that you put on there with that little pickle stuff in there? Actually, the tartars invented tartar sauce. So the taters, who you want to call them taters or tartars or whatever, they created the tartar sauce. Actually, it's been modified, I'm sure, because they don't have anything that's preservatives over there, so we have a little bit of mixture in there of other things. Yeah, it originated in Crimea. Actually, Crimea, you might remember from history class if you paid attention like I didn't, is with the Crimean War with Florence Nightingale way back from the 13th century. The Lord has called me to go to the Tartars in Crimea. I'm going to show you a DVD in just a few seconds. It's a brief little history, a long history. My history teacher, who is now my presbyter, loves to remind me of all the Light Brigade poems and all that things that he keeps on bringing back to me. But the history actually with the Tartars starts actually in 1944, where they were deported to countries out from Crimea. They were literally put on trains and shipped out in the middle of the night. They have been trying to come back into their country, and the DVD shows a little bit of that summary of the history for you. The Psalms that God is in every nation, but not every tongue and every tribe. And when I was asked if I would consider going to the Tatars this last, a year and a half ago when I went out to Springfield and I said, this is where I've been and this is what God's calling me to, to reach the children and the young people around the world, wherever you need me, I will go. I said, where is it that you need workers and you haven't been able to place them yet? And they said, would you be willing to go to an unreached people group called the Tatars? Chills went down my spine. And I said, but where in the world is Crimea? In fact, I crack up every time I watch the DVD of that airplane going across. That's exactly what the plane sounds like that I fly into Crimea on. Yeah, I've flown on some pretty crazy planes in my life. When they get on and they say, you know those things that come down from the ceiling and you're supposed to put on your face? Well, they don't come down. And you know that thing you're supposed to put on around your waist? It doesn't work. Mm -hmm, That's the plane. The PowerPoint that I have next, or something. I'm a teacher by trade, so I love visual aids, and this just shows you, Simferopol is the capital, and that's where we're going to be starting, is in Simferopol, it's the place where we can get internet to start out with, then we'll be moving out throughout the country, but we're starting a church planning movement, there is not a church with the Tatars in their language, we have to learn Russian first, though it's not a Russian country, Russia took over, and so Russian is the language on the street, to shop, to work, whatever. Um, You have to learn Russian and then we have to also learn Tatar. They do not sound anything alike and they don't have the same alphabet. And Tatar there is no study to learn from. There won't be a class to go to. It will be by cooking with someone or working with them. And actually, the Lord gave me a vision that I probably might be going back to elementary school, which they finally got 15 of them established, to learn my alphabets, to learn my colors, to learn my Tatar language by going back to kindergarten, graduating, going to first grade, graduating, going to second grade. How would you like to go to school all over again? But in the meantime, be able to build a relationship with the children and the youth while I'm going to school so that automatic after-school programs can be ready to go with the relationship that needs to be there for that to happen. I'm going to tell you a story about a girl named Katie. That is not her real name. It's a name that I've given her. It's a girl that I met this summer when I went to Crimea with my team to get a first-hand experience with Crimea. Katie is 14 at the time now, but two years ago when she was 12, her sister, who was 20 at the time, had a vision from the Lord. The Lord appeared to Katie and said, I am the Lord Jesus. That encounter changed Katie's sister immediately. And Katie, if you know your brothers and sisters or your relatives, you know when they're pulling one over on you, but Katie knew something had happened to her sister and she said, whatever has happened to you, I want. And Katie's sister said to her, then you need to believe that Jesus is Lord. And I need to preface that by saying the Tatars are Muslim. They're nominal Muslim, actually, in Crimea. In Crimea, you have, the only Quran that works is the Arabic Quran. Now, I told you I have to learn Russian, Tatar. I didn't mention Arabic, although I've learned Arabic from living in Egypt. So they don't read the Quran because they can't read Arabic. The only way they hear the Quran is by going to the mosque. But they'll tell you they're not good Muslims because they drink, which I thank God for at this point in time. We're taking the team over to bring restoration to them. But because of that, they don't go to the mosque. So they don't hear the Imad read the Quran. So they don't even hear about Jesus as the prophet. Because they don't know. So I'm going to tell people that don't even know the name of Jesus, not even as a swear word. And so all they know is their Muslim traditions, which are pretty strong and heavy. And when we go there, Katie says to me, I don't have a Bible to read that you're telling me I should read. I don't have a church to go to that can help me to understand. So, so Katie, what do you do? If you, don't have a, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, now what do you do with all that? And Katie says, I listen to God. Well, that's a no-brainer. I said, Katie, really? She said, yeah. She said, I said, so what's he tell you? She said, well, God told me to, to prayer journal. Now, we don't have to prayer journal, but it's one of the disciplines that you can grow in if you want to grow deep in the Lord is to prayer journal. And she said, God told me that means I write down my prayers. So she said, number one is I pray that my dad, who is a Muslim, would come to know Jesus as Lord. Number two, she says, I pray that, Lord, would you heal my dad of alcoholism? alcoholism is the number one leading thing over there, and you can work a half a day and drink all the afternoon and still get paid for a full day's work. It's called socialism. And she said, and number three is, I pray that my dad would no longer beat me. The Muslim culture is the Muslim culture no matter where you live in the world, and females are not respected. They're looked down upon. Katie knows that her brothers who are babies have houses already building in their name that they get when they get older. Katie just knows that. That's her culture. She doesn't run against it. She just knows her culture and and accepts it better than actually we do. So Katie says, as fate would have it, my dad came home from work one day drunk. He found my prayer journal. He came to find me. And when he did, he ripped it in front of me and he pulled back his fist to beat me like he always does. She said his fist could not move. She said to me, I have to believe that that was God protecting me. I'm like, Katie, you don't even have the Old Testament. It talks about the hedge of protection that is around the righteous. I said, you are living God's word. You haven't had it to read, but you are living his word. She said, you know, Esther, I know that you know that Muslims fast, but God told me to fast, and it's not the Muslim kind of fast where you... Don't eat all day. You start eating at sundown, eat all night long, and stop eating in the morning, and then fast all day long again. She said, God told me that I was to fast not eating morning and night. And he would tell me when to eat and when not to eat. I'm like, man, you don't even have the book of Daniel that talks about fasting to help you to understand the purposes of fasting. I don't have a very good poker face, and my face said to her, man, I can't believe this. You're only 14. And she said, well, don't all teenagers fast? I said, don't all adults fast? She said, Esther, you know, we know there are 7.5 million Tatars. Two million of them are back in Crimea at this point in time. The rest are still out in the countries where they were deported and not able to get back or they've had to be established out there. She said, by half of that 7.5 million people are children and youth. And she says, I believe that God has called me and asking me to go to the children and youth to tell them that Jesus is Lord. Like Katie, that's what a missionary does. Katie is my first missionary. She's asked me to hurry back so I can help her know how to do that. Against all odds, knowing that that's not her culture and she won't have permission, I know God who calls will enable her to do that which he has called her to do. Katie constantly challenges me. So if you ask me how she's doing now, I can't tell you until I get there. There's no communication. I don't have an interpreter over the phone or whatever to get to her. So I have to wait to get back to find out what's going on. Because every Sunday when I have congregations pray for her, I believe that God's answering right then and there. There's prayers. I don't believe he waits until later to answer. He's doing stuff now. Even though we can't see what he's doing, he's doing stuff now. I have five prayer requests that I would love for you to join me in, and this is what the Lord's led me to do. It's called Watch and Pray. I love to watch. I love to pray with my eyes open because I like to see what God does. And, um, so this is called a Watch and Prayer, and I'm going to have you stand with me when the, in just a second here. And I'm going to pray through the slides with the pictures. They have little captions with them that will give you a clue of what I'm praying about. And if you would just agree with me that that which we pray for God is going to do, I would really appreciate that. Would you please stand? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for a congregation that believes that you hear our prayers. I thank you, Lord, for a congregation that believes in missions and believes not only in home missions and here missions, but faraway missions. And so, Lord, our first prayer request that you've laid on my heart is for our team. Lord, you have brought together a team. You've chosen to place me as a single woman on a team with people so I wouldn't have to be alone. And God, I thank you for that. And, Lord, as you have brought this team with different gifts and talents that don't even overlap, Lord, amazes me. But, Lord, I know you're recruiting more people for this team, Lord, that will fulfill the other areas that we still need to make this team complete to be able to minister to all the needs there with the Tatar's. And so, Lord, I pray for unity as we continue to strategize and work together here and abroad. I pray, Lord, for apostolic anointing on our team, Lord, for we will have to hear and do things that we, only you know how to do in that land. And, Lord, I pray for nationals that are coming on this team, Lord, as they come into your kingdom, that, Lord, that we will be training as evangelists and missionaries to go out to the countries where we cannot go for the doors are closed. I thank you, Lord, for this team that you are creating and are calling forth in Jesus' name. Next slide. Lord, the veil over the Muslims is something that we as Americans shy away from. We have even our own pain that are related to Muslims. And as soon as we say the word Muslim, we kind of shut down a wall because we don't want to deal with it. But, Lord, that veil is full of deceit, full of confusion so much that it's the first the fastest growing religion in the world and we as christians have been sleeping and god we ask first that you forgive us for sleeping and allowing it to move forward god that veil is not something for us to fear for it's not of you and lord we know that you were the first one to have your son jesus tear down that curtain Tear down that veil 2,000 years ago. And it was by his blood that that veil was torn, his sacrifice. And, Lord, we believe that that veil is being torn down both here and abroad in Crimea over the Muslim people in Jesus' name. We thank you. We thank you that the victory is yours. The victory is yours in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, on the website, it tells us that the Al-Qaeda is recruiting the children and youth of the Tatars. I look at this picture and I go, God, your calling is on these boys, a hope and a future for them. And what Al-Qaeda has meant for destruction, what the enemy has meant for destruction, Lord, your word promises us that, Lord, that is not your will, but your will is for a hope and a future. Lord, I believe that even these boys, Lord, will be future pastors and missionaries that will bring forth the gospel in a dry and desolate land, a confused land. And Lord, we pray against the Al-Qaeda that it no longer has a grip, claws cannot have any hold on the children and youth in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you're getting me there to be able to minister to them. And I thank you, Lord, that the enemy has no hold. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, and for that bitterness that has continued to go down in these boys' lives into their hearts, Lord, because of the stories of the deportation and the pain of their families that they've heard for generations, Lord, that have been passed on down, Lord, that has nowhere to go because they don't know you, Jesus, the redeeming Jesus. Lord, I thank you that where that hate has been and Al Qaeda banks on that hatred, I thank you, Lord, that you're stirring the pot and you're now pouring in your love and your joy to these people, Lord in a land that they have never seen before. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for Katie's story. I thank you for crossing her path with mine. It was not an accident. And Lord, I thank you that her life continually challenges me. But God, I thank you that it was your blood that was shed for each person, including the Tatars. Thank you, Lord that you choose, your desire is not that one soul should be lost. And I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your blood that was shed. And I thank you, Lord, that includes not only our home people, as Pastor was referring to, Lord, of the people that are lost around us, but, Lord, it includes even the Tatars. I thank you that 2,000 ago, it was a plan already. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, that you have asked me to raise up prayer warriors. And you said, Lord, that as I raised up prayer warriors, that, Lord, that you would be faithful to supply and raise up the financial supporters. And, Lord, you know I I will not go without prayer. I will not go and try to go for the mountains that have been there for generations upon generations without the prayer going before me to knock them down. But, Lord, I know that it's the human thing, that it's the finances that only keep me there because you have to have the finances to stay. And so, Lord, I'm believing with this congregation that, Lord, even now, that you're stirring up monthly supporters, Lord, here and abroad, Lord, that will continue to bring in the financial support, Lord, that as you convict their heart, you will supply. And you will bountifully surprise people how much you are in this. And so, Lord, I thank you that I have partners, Lord, that are praying with me to believe that, Lord, that you'll supply every single need. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for partnering with me and thank you for praying. I was supposed to be gone in January, but the Lord made sure I stayed because there's no medical treatments there. We have to go far, far, far away to get anything medical done. He had me get my gallbladder out before that happened, and so I thank God for that. He's making sure every detail is taken care of before I go. So my target is to be out of here by the middle of April. I'm just knowing that God's not going to have me go a day late or a day early. It'll be a perfect timing for His sending me there. I'm a preacher's kid. And when I was 12, I heard the Lord call me to be a missionary. pastor alluded to my family generations, but that's not what called me. It created an atmosphere. And the more we put children in the path of believers and their faith stories, the more it stirs up faith to believe that God can speak to me too. And I heard God speak to me as a 12-year-old saying, I want you to go to the faraway lands for me. That happened finally when I was 24. But just before I was 24, I was in college. And I met a man. I didn't tell him as much as I wanted to. I just, just thought, you know, if he's going to the ministry, that'll be fine. That's God's work. What, we were engaged. And he said to me one day, after chapel, of course, Esther, is God calling you to be a missionary? Like, man, busted. And I said, why? He, why do you ask that? And he said, if you are, I'm not. And I will never set foot on the foreign soil. It's a funny thing, Facebook. I, I love Facebook. It's connected me to people that have been in my life for years, and, and I would invite you to be my friend. Because I get to put out my, my schedule, and people pray for me all the time. But on Facebook, don't you know that guy found me? And he found my phone number on there, and he called me after 25 years. And he said, Esther, this is so-and-so. And I'm like, it's funny how you don't forget voices. I said, oh, like, what are you doing calling me? He said, you know, I just wanted to tell you, you deserve to be happy. I'm like, what do you mean happy? He's like, well, you deserve to be married. I'm like, and you're married, and why are you calling me, and you're a minister, and what are we doing on the phone together? Out of that conversation, I, could, I witnessed to him saying, you know what, to say that I'm not happy put God, puts God in the corner of my life. Ooh. That's a scary thing to envision God in the corner of your life and not consuming your life. I said, I, I have hard days, but if you raised your hand and said you never did, I'd be thinking you, weren't in he- you were already in heaven. I have had an awesome life. And if you're single and you think that the only happiness comes if I ever get married, whether you're married or single or young or old, when you are in God's will, it is the most fulfilling life you could ever imagine. When I was in the hospital for my gallbladder, they have to, they have to do all this HIPAA stuff, and they have to read your name and your birthday and whatever, and, and they made a big deal of it, and they were reading it before they started the surgery, and the nurse said to me, oh, you have a big 5 coming up. I'm like, oh, yes, I do! And they're like, are you married? I'm like, no! oh, you don't, you're a nun? I'm like, no, no. Would I love to be married? Yes. And I said, gee, and I'm on the gurney. I'm strapped down with IV going in. And I had a chance to witness to those nurses and said, you know, I'm getting ready to move to Crimea. I'm a missionary. God has done so many phenomenal things in my life. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in a country that's about 1920 with cell phones. I can't wait to see what miracles he's going to bring. I can't wait to see the people's lives that are going to be touched, the people that are going to, for the first time in their life, know that a God is not just a being, but a personal relationship that loves you. And these nurses are like, oh my goodness, do they need nurses? I'm like, yes, we need nurses. That's why I'm in there now. And so the doctor comes in, and and the nurses are like, wait, do you know who this is on the gurney? She's a missionary. and She's excited about turning 15. Can you blah, 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 blah. I'm like, he's like, yeah, that's why we're doing the gallbladder, because she can't get one out over there. Like, he had already heard my story. But they could, all the way through recovery and out the door. They're like, you're excited about life? I mean, if you're stuck, get out of being stuck. God has an awesome thing for every one of you. The scripture was read at the beginning. He has an awesome thing for your life. And I can't wait to see what that is for you. And whatever the Lord sets before you today, do it. Don't wait. And whatever's happened in the past, let it go. And start fresh today. God has an awesome thing for this church. An awesome thing. And you're a vital part to that. Everyone is needed for the vision to go forth. I'm going to quickly go into uh, two characters in the Bible that I just want to share with you. One is in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. I've told this story many times. I'm a teacher, Sunday school teacher. Yay for Sunday school teachers. We need you in our lives. I've told the story of Jonah many times. In case you haven't heard, Jonah was the one who didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got on the ship to go to Tarshish instead. The, ro- the waves came, everything, and they said, throw me overboard. The whale came along, sucked him up, and then he got spit up on the ground. That part was just so much fun for me as a kid. I could, it was so fun. But we, we don't want to miss what happens in the story of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because those people were mean and ugly people. And he knew God. He knew God. He knew that God was a gracious and compassionate God. And as much as he knew that, he didn't want that for those bad people. Because he knew he would forgive them. If he goes there, they're going to repent, and he's going to be all happy and fine. He wanted them to pay for their ugliness. He wanted to pay for their meanness. Well, God does work those things out. But that's why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. And we can read that in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He tells on himself, he says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents as sending calamity. Receive that for yourself. That's who God is in your life. Slow to anger. And Jonah went to, tar- went to Nineveh, did his thing. God did save the people. And this is the story afterwards. Jonah's just all been out of shape. And the rest of the book talks about the relationship between him and God and what it's all about. God's not just out to win souls. He's out to work on our hearts. When I think about Katie daily, she's challenging my life. Daily not about being the missionary and doing great and wonderful things, it's about who I am in Christ to save the world and lose your own soul how sad would that be then I go over to the New Testament and I go to the book of Acts, I love Acts anyway, but the chapter 9 talks about Saul Saul I've told that story a billion times too Saul was out killing Christians he knew he was doing the right thing, he knew it he was killing them. He had the right to do it, and he was doing it all for the sake because he knew he was doing the right thing. And God decides he wants to have a Damascus <laughs> Road experience, and he stops him in his tracks. And Jonah, in that moment, Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? He's like, prior to that, he was so like naive. to He didn't realize he was doing that, but when God spoke to him, it was the E.F. Hutton moment. And he knew he had done wrong. And in that experience, God causes him to go blind with scales on his eyes. Now, if I were God, which thank God I'm not. My mom would thank you for that too. But if, if I were God and, you were, and, I was, and people were killing Christians, I would cut off their hands and cut off their feet and take out their tongue. I mean, doesn't that make sense? But God only blinds him, which has nothing to do with him killing anybody had everything to do with his heart. And God wanted Saul to see the condition of his heart. And as he was scaled over with the scale stuff over his eyes, he had to go down into his heart and see the condition. He had no clue he was arrogant. But love is blind and neighbors aren't either. We don't know the bad about us until we finally have the guts to look inside. And that's what was going on with Saul. At the same time, hardly somebody that we don't hear too much about is Ananias. Ananias is over in his house, a Christian. And God comes to him and says, I want you to go to Saul. Having no clue the Damascus Road experience had happened. We read his story in Acts chapter 9, verse 13. The Lord called him and said, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. I love that. Ananias? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love that. I love that. I want to live on Straight Street. And ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, said Ananias, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Uh, that's me. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias goes over to Saul's house, the place where Saul's staying, and he had the prime opportunity to give Saul a lecture. Saul, you know all the bad stuff you've done. How much we love to lecture people. Instead, he just goes and only does what God tells him to do. He said, I have come to lay hands on you that you might be healed and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. And the rest is history because half the New Testament is written by Saul, who became Paul. And I think about it, I I work with teenagers for the last 30 years and I hear them all the time saying, well, the Bible's really not relevant. It doesn't look, it doesn't sound like this, rock music or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not relevant. You guys, if Saul were here today, Saul would be the Taliban. The last thing they're supposed to do is kill the infidels. That is us. And yet God said, my desire that not one should perish. And we don't have the luxury to say, well, this one shouldn't be, and this one should be, and this one shouldn't be. That's not our business. Not one, sh- not one should perish, but have everlasting life. I tell that story of Katie and one of the things that it just amazes me when I tell that story is here out of million people. We are aware of 30 people out of that that have either received a vision from the Lord or the fruit of that vision. When I went to China, I was very aware of missionaries that had gone before me. My grandparents had been there, my mom was there. I was very aware that every step I took in China, anything that I did, people for years and generations before me had treaded that ground, and I was walking on that ground and being able to bear that fruit that they had so labored hard for. When I was in Egypt and traveling up the Nile River, I was very aware of missionaries that had gone before me, and I had the wonderful opportunity of winning people on, in, including Muslims. Going to Crimea, we are the first missionaries to go in. Nobody can tell us how to do it. Missionaries to other Muslim countries know that these Tatars don't have that same way to go in and work with them but I'm very aware that Jesus is already there. And I have the awesome privilege to go in and partner with him and carry on the fruit and harvest that which he's already speaking. God loves us so much that he wants us to partner with him. He wants us in his business. He wants us to be a part of his daily happenings. We don't praise him. He says in his word that the rocks will cry out. I want to hear that one. But I know it would be true because the word is true. But God loves us so much that he chooses to have us be a part of his work. Therefore, every place you are is an appointment. Homeschooled or schooled? Work? Unemployed teacher, student, workplace, home, wherever you are. If we could grasp that it's not about the paycheck, which we need in America, but I'm there as an appointed person by God, that paycheck would come in amazingly different to us. We would see that we are on a direct assignment. It's not what I feel like doing. God places our desires in our hearts, and he stirs that up. And when I say, yes, God, I'll go, even though it doesn't look like an exciting job, but I know I'm on assignment. Whew. When I was in China, I was there with my nephews and nieces. I went in as a nanny at Cognito, and I later built an international school there. But we had gone through the flu. The boys had had the flu. The girls were coming down with the flu. We had had no water for eight days. We had dirty water shipped in, but you didn't drink that stuff. And we just barely had enough to keep washing the vegetables off with bleach. Amazing that I'm still alive. But anyway, my nieces were coming down with the flu. My brother was coming down with the flu. And my sister-in-law was down in the kitchen witnessing to to, to the Chinese girls. And he needed me to take a document to the government. And when I went, I said, I'll be back in 10 minutes. I came back in. As soon as the door opened, I heard my brother yell, Esther! I ran up the stairs only to find that my baby niece had thrown up all over herself in the bed. It was the kind that you go and you put them underneath the water. Forget the towels. Well, I didn't have faith for hot water because we never had hot water. But I t- picked her up. and told my brother to get the other niece out of there. I picked her up and carried her, goo and all, to the bathroom and went to go put her underneath that faucet. And I said, in Jesus' name, I need water. And that water came out of that faucet, cold as it was. I put her underneath that cold water, got all that goo off of her, wrapped her in a warm blanket, went and grabbed the bedding off the bed, threw it in the washer, ran around the house, flushed the toilets, practical life to missionary life. Ran around, flushed everything, got all the water filled back up. And as soon as the washer stopped, we had no more water for eight days. That's what I'm telling you. When you are in God's will, partnering with what he is asking you to do, his favor accompanies that. It's not your job to make it happen. Your job to say, come on, God, I'm with you. What do you want me to do? Let's do it. And he does it. It's amazing. It's an exciting life. Don't tell me. Life has to be sad. Life has to be boring. He's got a plan for you. The words that kept on coming during worship and pastor went on with it. But the words that kept on coming for me was when I sing those words, Jesus loves us. Do I really believe it? And if I believe it, then I will obey him. I will respond to him. When somebody tells me I love you, man, talk about fireworks going off. The whole world should blow up when Jesus tells me he loves me. Fireworks will be nothing compared to how I feel when Jesus tells me he loves me. But do I believe it? Because he's telling you all morning. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't talk to you. He was talking today and is talking now. A very vital word from him. As simple as it is, he is talking. The question is, are we receiving it? are we receiving it? I'm going to a people group that when I went to go buy this costume, that's all hand done. They knew it wasn't a souvenir. They said to me, why are you buying our costume? I couldn't tell them I was a missionary. I said, I want to tell people about you. And those ladies in that picture said to me, why? We're just outcasts. If you do crossword puzzles and you need another six-letter word for outcasts, look it up. It'll be Tatars. And whatever is in your life that needs convincing, God is here to do that today. Let's pray. God, I don't know this church, but Lord, you know every single person here today. Whether they're a guest or a regular tender, Lord, you know their comings and their goings. You created them for your honor and glory. And, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, that you have been speaking today powerfully. Lord, I was a mess during worship. I didn't even know if I could get up here to speak. I was so messed up with your love for me, for these people. God, I, I pray that right now, if someone does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to say and admit that, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I don't know this love. just going to stop if you're here today and you have not asked Jesus into your heart you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord I would love to pray with you and and introduce you to my best friend Lord I thank you that either everyone here is ready to go to heaven now or they're just not quite ready to admit it but Lord I pray that today would not finish out before they could honestly say, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I know he loves me. Lord, I pray for this church, Lord, and the vision that you have given to pastor and to the congregation, Lord, of how you want us to move in this community. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the challenging word, Lord, of Loving people, Lord, that are not like us as far as believers and believing that God has placed us in specific positions and places so that we could be your instruments to win others to the Lord. Lord, I believe you've been speaking not only about your love for people today, to individuals, but, Lord, you've been speaking and convicting hearts about not being where we're supposed to be, not responding to things that you've spoken to them in the past. And, Lord... Whoever is here, Lord, that needs the challenge to move it up a notch, I pray, Lord, that they would respond and not just go, wow, he spoke, or I think that was God speaking, but, Lord, say, yes, it was you. Like Ananias said, yes, Lord. What is it that you would have me do? And then do it. Where he says go, where he says speak, where he says be, that, Lord, that we would be obedient to respond to you. Lord, lavish your love on this church. Lavish your love on this church, that, Lord, you would be contagious through them, that people's lives would change. The time is short, and there's so many people in our lives, Lord, that need to know you and have the opportunity to come to you and call you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.